You are now listening to The Model Health Show with Sean Stevenson. For more, visit themodelhealthshow.com. Welcome to The Model Health Show. This is fitness and nutrition expert Sean Stevenson, and I'm so grateful for you tuning in with me today. Listen, have you ever thought about what the true limits of human potential are? Are we limited by our physicality? Are we limited by our ability to think differently? Are we limited by our ability to express health and wellness or our ability to recover quickly from the things that we go through? Well, today you're gonna find out that the human potential is actually boundless. We are boundless individuals. Even our brain's capacity to learn, to process information, we're only scratching the surface on what we are realizing we're capable of doing. Uh, You might've heard the statement that we only use maybe 10% of our brain, but that's not actually true. We, in fact, use 100% of our brains every day. Even while we're sleeping, there are different parts of our brain that are going into overdrive and doing a lot of work and even a lot of housekeeping. But the sad reality is we use 100% of our brain, but we don't use it very well. We don't use it to 100% of its capacity. And that's one of the things we're gonna be talking about today is how do we actually improve that amazing organ that's governing our entire life, right? Our brain is where we're able to actually see, right? We're taking in information, we have these optical receptors, but we're seeing inside of our incredible brain, right? So it's like a, a, a screen inside of our brain that we're really watching these things. It seems like we're seeing and taking in the outside world, but that visual center of our brain is actually towards the back of our brain. That's one thing, how we're seeing, taking in information, sight, sounds, our senses, but also our brain is controlling our metabolism. If we talk about the hypothalamus, for example, which is kind of the master gland in our brain, is determining and communicating with our thyroid, which is regulating our metabolic rate, our uh, adrenals, which is determining different hormones. Are we in a state of stress where we are potentially breaking down tissue in our bodies, our muscle tissue, and turning it into glucose for fuel because we're running in this hypersympathetic nervous system. So your brain is controlling based on your perception of reality and the awareness of the nutrients we have available in our system, and the list goes on and on, is controlling our metabolism, all right? And so those are just a couple of aspects. Our emotion, our mood, how we feel. We have these neurotransmitters and hormones, and your hypothalamus is actually the interface of all of those things, your neurotransmitters and hormones, and determining how we feel and how our cells are communicating with each other, which is kind of important. And so, again, us understanding and supporting our brain health and also our physicality, you know, the stuff from the head down, what's up there? How can we perform better? How can we increase our rate of recovery? What if we're injured? What can we do to get better faster? And so we're gonna be talking about all of that today with one of the foremost experts on the planet and his new work is gonna talk about and teach you how to become boundless. And he's just gonna provide you with a ton of new things that you can have at your disposal throughout your entire life. And before we do that, I just wanna give a quick shout out to one of the things that we're going to talk about today, which is helping to regulate your sleep. And today, more than ever, humans, we're traveling. We're cloud hopping. We are moving around at a pace that our ancestors didn't even know was possible, you know, via train, plane, and automobile, all right? We can move around. And the crazy thing is that your body is always looking for its place in all of this. It's looking for its ability to sync up with the environment. 
we are hardwired to connect with our environment, the circadian rhythm. Your circadian rhythm is matching up with you know, the dernal, nocturnal patterns of the earth every single day. And when you go, when you jump into a different time zone, the earth and like your body are trying to locate each other to get synced up again. That's determining when your hormones are getting secreted, certain neurotransmitters doing their job, your motility in your gut, all of that stuff is trying to sink back and define a rhythm. And so this is why I'm a big fan of helping your body to reset when you travel. So today, a lot of people are leaning towards and reaching, for, reaching towards melatonin to help them to sleep better. And there's an issue with this because according to a study published in the Journal of Biological Rhythms, found that faulty timing or large doses of melatonin can cause a desensitization of your melatonin receptors. Basically, your body will continue to produce melatonin and you can have melatonin supplements, but your ability to actually use it is going to go down. And when that happens, we can run into some serious problems. And so we wanna be very judicious and cautious about our use of melatonin. Now, I'm a big fan of melatonin in spot cases, or there is some evidence towards microdosing. However, in those spot cases, especially when traveling, when changing time zones, that's a great time to utilize melatonin because it helps your body to sync back up and to get, melatonin isn't just about sleep. It's not a sedative. It's about regulating your circadian timing system. And so for that, I'm a big fan of sublingual spray under your tongue, hold that in there, a high quality earth-grown nutrient source of melatonin, not something you know synthetic, just because you could buy it at whatever convenience store or pharmacy does not mean that it's high quality. And also the dose can be problematic, especially if you're taking pills, like to find the right dose for you versus a couple of sprays. And so for me, that's why I'm a big fan and I travel with it when I'm changing time zones on its sprayable melatonin. And you can get yourself access to that at onit.com forward slash model. That's O-N-N-I-T.com forward slash model. Get 10% off their sprayable melatonin. And I travel with it. I keep it in my book bag, my door of the explorer. You know, it's one of the things that I reach for when I travel, especially when I'm changing time zones. Or if you've had a couple of rough nights of sleep and you just wanna get back on track, but you just wanna avoid using high doses, like what the research says, and using it in haphazard times as well and taking it too long. So spot cases to get yourself reset, to get back on a rhythm, it's a great thing to have access to. So I just wanted to make sure that you knew about that and that you're getting yourself a good source of melatonin if you are using it, especially again for those spot instances. And they've got some other cool stuff as well. They're um, pre-workout is the best by far because they've actually done double-blind placebo-controlled studies on their Shroom Tech Sport to find its efficacy in improving sports performance. So being able to lift more weights, being able to have a boost in cardiovascular function, about an 8.8% increase in cardiovascular performance by utilizing Shroom Tech Sport, which again, all earth-grown nutrients, nothing synthetic. So pop over there, check them out. It's onit.com forward slash model and you get 10% off, and my guest today, big fans of Onnit. And actually, I think the last time that we saw each other was at an Onnit event, all right? So big fans of Onnit, and I think you will be as well. Pop over to check them out, onnit.com forward slash model for 10% off, and now let's get to the Apple Podcast Review of the Week. Another five-star review titled, Grow Your Knowledge, Fuel Your Mind, 
Health Will Follow by JB147. I've listened to Sean for more than a year and it continues to provide me with the knowledge, the will, and yes, the health. His ability to speak on a level that doesn't intimidate but welcomes a listener to learn, grow, and get and be healthy. Thank you, Sean, and all those behind the scenes for giving me the power to health, my health. I love this so much, the power to health, your health. Thank you so much for sharing that review over on Apple Podcasts, and thank you for allowing me to be a part of your life and your story. And today we're just gonna take it another step further with our special guests. And please remember, if you've yet to do so, pop over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review for the show. And whether or not you're watching this or listening on a different platform, leave a review, leave a comment, and let me know what you thought about the episode as well. All right, and now let's get to our special guest and topic of the day. Ben Greenfield is a human performance consultant speaker and New York Times bestselling author. And he's the author of 13 books, by the way. And he's a former collegiate tennis player, water polo player, volleyball player, bodybuilder, 13 time Ironman triathlete and professional obstacle course racer. And Ben has been voted by the NSCA as America's top personal trainer and by greatest as one of the top 100 most influential people in health and fitness. And Ben also hosts the highly popular fitness, nutrition, and wellness website, bengreenfieldfitness.com, a site with over a million monthly visitors featuring articles, podcasts, and product reviews from Ben. And now he is back on the Model Health Show to talk about his new book, Boundless, Upgrade Your Brain, Optimize Your Body, and Defy Aging. Incredible nuggets of wisdom here in this episode. So let's jump into this conversation with New York Times bestselling author, Ben Greenfield. Your book launch party is? I got a party tonight. Tonight? Yeah, I've, I've been doing a bunch of them. It's been a, yeah. a whirlwind tour. So yeah, there's one tonight at the bungalow. At the bungalow? Yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah. I don't know. You know, I've been here since July, we moved. Yeah. I've been out maybe four times. Yeah. You know, and it's always something to do. You know, our friends got stuff going on. It um, sounds like my life in Spokane. Much. Cause I do, I go on these tours and I go, you know, and speak in these big cities, you know, LA and New York and Austin, wherever. And when I go home, I don't go out at all. Cause yeah. I just have this little oasis in the forest and I, I do the hyperbaric mm -hmm. and the infrared sauna and, uh, you know, I have a massage therapist come to my house. And I have all the toys and everything you need to just heal your body. And people will write me or come into town. They'll be like, which restaurant should I go to? Or, you know, where's it, where's a good spot to, you know, the best park downtown or whatever. I'm like, hell if I know. <laughs> I don't, I don't go out much Good in my luck. own city. When I'm at home, I just don't leave the house. Oh, man. I Rarely. Like, yeah. I haven't, I, I don't think that I've told you this, but prior to us moving here, I lived in the woods, uh, a place called Wildwood, Missouri, but literally in the woods. And my closest neighbor was, I don't know, maybe 300 yards away. Yeah. And we had a nice little trek to the mailbox. We had this super steep, barely paved road to get to our house and it snowed one year and it just got covered in ice and I was listening to my oldest son he was like you can make it you know I was in my wife's SUV because there's a dip and you come up I was like he's all he's right and if we die he'll help you know he'll help get us out of the ditch and so I hit it and we got like maybe five or six feet from my driveway and just started sliding backwards. Yeah. And I was turning the wheel you know the opposite direction I hit the emergency brake I'm flipping out I'm like we're gonna fall in the ditch but I didn't say it out loud yeah and my oldest son who's you he is the most scary person in our family you know and he scary movies as well which we'll talk about yeah. you talk about in your book 
But he was just so calm. He's like, Dad, everything's fine. It's going to be okay. And I'll flip it. I'm like, no, it's not. He's probably got that. What's the, the gene that the, all the Navy SEALs have? The COMT gene that mm. just churns out dopamine in response to excitatory activities. He's probably hardwired for that. I don't know. Just I just scared it. him yesterday yeah. walking into, yeah. the, into the house. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but anyway, so we ended up just feet, maybe maybe a good 20 feet. I'm probably over-exaggerating from the little creek at the bottom. And um, my wife was like, when we, and we had to shovel the, the whole street just to get up there that night. Yeah. And that's when my wife decided we are officially moving. Like we're not doing this again. And so, but that experience of living off, kind of off the grid, there's no yeah. artificial lights anywhere. Yeah. People come out to the house and they're the just like- 5G panels. Yeah. yeah. It was we, just quiet. We, um, we live in very similar scenario, quarter mile long driveway, steep uphill. And I didn't plow for the longest time because I'm cheap. And I, I finally bit the bullet and have like a plow guy, you know, with a, with a good pickup and, and a big plow. And his, his instructions are just anytime it dumps snow, just come up and plow. And the reason that like, like the turning point for me was when I got a massage one night at my house and the massage therapist slid off the road going down oh, and I'm all relaxed out and I had to spend the next three hours digging her out of the snow. And I'm like, <laughs> screw this. This is not worth it. So I just, I got it. And now the mailman can come up and people yeah. can come up and we don't have to just select friends who have all wheel drive. And, yeah. So, yeah. That is called blowing a high yeah when you got that massage and had to go through that man. i know and and it literally blowing a high because usually before i get because i'll get like these grand two or three hour massages usually wednesday night at my house and i'll you know I'll, I'll pop an edible and get super relaxed so literally i'm i'm high relaxed and want to go to bed and mm. i'm digging in the snow instead dude two yeah. to three hours i've never even heard of such things it's amazing i have one of those pulsed electromagnetic field tables yeah, that, that's yeah. like an anti-inflammatory table it kind of opens and closes cell membranes and it gives you this full body parasympathetic response and so i lay on that and then i've got two like sound healing speakers on either side of the table that blast me with these healing frequencies mm -hmm. when i'm getting the massage and diffuse the essential oil and it's just like nirvana for you know and she'll usually come over like eight or nine p.m and i'll get a massage till midnight and then just crawl into bed yeah, that's yeah. amazing, man. Yeah. You talked about sound healing in the book as well. Yeah. And I was really pleasantly surprised because, again, both of us being a little bit more analytical about stuff. Mm -hmm. And this is something I just wouldn't give much credence to. Mm -hmm. But I experienced it first, and then I looked into the data like, okay, there's something here. Mm -hmm. and it, but then, it, of course, it hits you just like, it, of course, it makes sense. Well, there, there's some data showing that vibratory frequencies delivered via sound can elicit certain brainwave, pattern, brainwave patterns like mm -hmm. alpha or, or beta or, or theta or whatever. Usually you're looking for alpha or, or theta or delta. And so there are sound healing practitioners like, you know, one of the more famous ones down in Sedona, Arizona, who, who I've interviewed before, Porangui. And uh, he just blasts you with a didgeridoo and all manner of drums, and he's got and a he's got like a whole sound DJ healing set table. Though, like you know DJ him, Khaled. You know him? Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. Okay. okay. Yes. That's and my. He, that's that's why I'm like. Oh, okay, okay yes. there's something here. Yes, and he does body work at the same time. And so so we know the frequencies can change brain waves. And then there is a there's another book. Uh, called tuning, I think it's called tuning the human biofield that goes into the utilization of tuning forks at specific frequencies that can vibrate at the same frequencies as certain cells in the body vibrate and could be specifically used for, for liver or neural function or thyroid or what have you. And then, um, 
the uh, the interesting thing is that I met this guy a few weeks ago, and I, I also uh, interviewed him, and he uh, worked with the MAPS Foundation on, on trauma and PTSD, which right now is kind of being treated with uh, increasingly MDMA and ketamine and psilocybin, and he wanted to figure out if there was a way to do this without the use of drugs or plant medicine, and he developed the device called the Apollo, which you wear on your ankle or your wrist, and it transmits an inaudible sound frequency that elicits a similar neural response as plant medicine. And I've been messing around with that for the past month. You can set it on sleep. You can set it on social. You can set it on wake up. You can set it on meditate. And that definitely does something. I, I agree with you. There's not a great deal of human clinical research on sound healing. But anecdotally, right. I, I am yeah. sold. And the, the other really cool thing that I just discovered, have you ever seen a hang drum or a hand pan? I don't think so. These, these are drums. They look like a steel drum kind of. And mm -hmm. you place it in your lap and, and you, you strike it, usually with, with your thumbs or the ends of your fingers or an open palm. And because it's in your lap as you're playing it, these, these vibrations just travel through your entire body. It's incredibly soothing, almost like a harp. And every single drum is tuned to a specific scale. Like mine is in the scale of B. And there, there's nine spots that are marked that you strike, so it's impossible to sound bad on it, mm -hmm. right? Because it's all it's all on the same scale, so you can play anything, and it just sounds like you're a pro. Mm -hmm. So it's it's really cool for somebody who wants to get the benefit of the neuroplasticity that music can give you, and you know some of the BDNF, the the vagus nerve activation, all these things we know that music can deliver, but then have that combined with not having to work super hard to learn a, a musical instrument and get the sound healing effect at the same time because it's in your lap. And yeah. so all the sounds are going straight into your body. Yeah. So there's definitely something cool about the sound healing thing. Man, and you just kind of went into it a little bit, but I want to talk about some of the benefits that sound can deliver. Like you just mentioned, uh, uptick in BDNF. Mm -hmm. um, you mentioned the brain waves was the first thing. So yeah. shifting from this kind of beta state and into that alpha, theta, so what would this do for us? I would imagine we'd get a little shift over in our sympathetic nervous system. Yeah, so so the, the alpha-beta ratio is one of the more important ratios, with, with beta brainwaves being those fast oscillating brainwaves that are typically associated with a sympathetic nervous response, but aren't bad. I mean, yeah, they're also associated in many cases with a state of hyperfocus or a state of increased athleticism, or you know, you'd want high beta wave frequency or even figure out a way to elicit high beta wave frequency if you're dropping under the squat rack you know, or, or doing something for which you really wanted to be activated, but most people are in high beta throughout the day right. which of course you know ties into everything from uh from poor vagal nerve tone to increased sympathetic nervous system activation and so you'd ideally during the day want to shift yourself into alpha you know the state of focus that you know in athletic performance or um or memory performance or cognitive performance would be referred to as the zone or like the alpha zone kind of like a 10 ish 8 to 10 hertz ish frequency and then in the evening you'd want to shift yourself more into a delta or even a theta frequency with theta being that deep deep meditative state that you'd also access a little bit during deep sleep so the brain waves can can be altered by sound they, they can be altered by other 
other means too. Yeah. You know, binaural beats are technically a sound that you can play through speakers, you know, through like uh, noise isolation headphones. And I, I like an app called Sleep Stream. I talk about it in the book. That's kind of like a DJ for sleep. And you can, you can put little piano sounds on it. You can select brown noise or pink noise or white noise or some type of noise that, that covers up ambient sound. And then you can select your, your binaural beat frequency for alpha or beta or delta or theta. And so that's another way that you can do it. There's actually a practitioner here in L.A. Uh, who has a place called the Peak Brain Institute. Have you heard of this? I have not. No. Yeah, Dr. Andrew Hill. And he actually practices neurofeedback that is specifically designed to train your brain almost subconsciously to go into the brainwave states that it needs to shift into. So what he does is a QEEG, so that, that's a, an electric scan of the brain, to see which signals are firing and when. And if you have certain areas of the brain that are drifting into high beta or low alpha, or let's say you have poor sleep onset, it would be poor activation of delta or theta frequencies. And then what he does is he has these electrodes that he attaches to your head. And this is just based on, on neurofeedback science. And you then, with the electrodes attached to your head, which are monitoring your brainwave patterns, you will play a, a game on a computer screen where you're looking at the computer and, for example, you're flying a spaceship. And the software that the computer is running is connected to those electrodes. And so every time that you shift into, let's say, high beta, that, that stressful state, the spaceship will stop flying, the music from the game will kind mm -hmm. of decrease, and even the screen will start to fade. And your brain subconsciously sees that as a slap on the wrist, and it wants the reward mechanism of you going into high alpha. So then once you, once you, you, you can't think yourself into high alpha, but it's very strange because if you subconsciously just realize that the spaceship stopped flying, the ignition stopped coming out the back, the music faded away, if you focus, your brain starts to shift back into alpha state. And by playing this game repeatedly, you can begin to downregulate beta or begin to train yourself and to get into the brain waves that you want to get into. And I, I trained with him for a while. I even bought the equipment from him and, and brought it to my house because I didn't want to have to fly to LA to do brain training. And what I discovered is that you can even watch a movie with the electrodes attached. And when you're watching the movie, if you shift into beta or a state of increased distractibility, the movie will start to fade and the sound from the voices will start to fade. And so you can just watch Netflix and be training your brain simultaneously <laughs> to go into the brainwave states you want it to be in. And the two things I noticed the most from doing that training, because I did have some high beta areas, were A, decreased distractibility, meaning I used to say, walk into a cocktail party and I would have difficulty focusing on the person that I was talking to because I could hear like the eight other conversations going on around me and it was kind of like the, oh, hey, there's a squirrel type of thing. And, you know, my eyes would dart over to the cocktail bar, over to the snack table or to the conversation going on behind me. And that allowed me to decrease that distractibility. Mm -hmm. And then the other thing was faster sleep onset, which is, which is also known as decreased sleep latency. So I fell asleep faster because I was in less beta during, during my sleep cycle or, or, or during the lead up to falling asleep. So yeah, there, there's a lot of different ways that you can track these brain waves. And then you, you asked about the, the vagus nerve and yeah. training that is just fascinating. Yeah. Reading a book so right can now we first let's nerve. talk about yeah. what it is? Yeah, the vagus nerve, 
and um, it's it's like a big topic, big part of conversation today. I think it's only yes. recently discovery discovered that there's such a big connection between the vagus nerve and yeah, what's going on upstairs. how, how so profound like, an impact it makes. About eighty percent. Well, I should start here that the the vagus nerve originates in the head, originates in, in the, from the cranial nerves, but then it snakes through and innervates nearly every organ in your body, your liver, your thyroid, your thymus, your pancreas, your small intestine, your colon, and it's responsible for the proper function of many of these organs. So if you have poor vagal nerve tone, it can affect everything from the release of bile by the gallbladder and production of bile by the liver to be able to digest a meal to the creation of immune cells by the thymus, to the production of insulin and other digestive enzymes by the pancreas, to the motility of the small intestine, to the, the flora in the colon. And it, it, what this means is that if you are in a state of constant sympathetic nervous system activation, that is synonymous with poor tone of the vagus nerve, meaning because you're in fight and flight, the vagus nerve downregulates innervation to all these organs mm. so that you can run from a lion and activate your muscles. So if you can engage in activities that strengthen the vagus nerve or that increase its tone and that also allow you to be in a, in a parasympathetic state, it's beneficial for a wide variety of issues from poor digestion to poor insulin production and blood sugar management to poor immune function to constipation to all of these things that, that the vagus nerve is responsible for helping to control. There are a variety of ways that you can increase the tone of the vagus nerve, and there are also ways to, even in real time, track the efficacy of those efforts. Mm. So, for example, some of the things that would tone the vagus nerve would be anything that involves gargling, such as every morning just gargling for about a minute or so with, with some warm water or a little bit of lemon, or I like to use oregano because it kind of cleans up the biome a little bit. Um, you can chant, sing, or hum, which is one reason why alming is, is such a calming activity used in meditative or yogic practices. So chant, sing, sing. Chant, so singing. Yeah, singing what activate though? your like parasympathetic the song or like probably not the thong song okay. or heavy metal, right. but but just singing. You know, yeah. in, in our house as a family, we sing a lot. We gather together as a family, and we'll often have like meditation and prayer and journaling in the morning. But then we sing afterwards. I sing the kids to bed at night. There's always some kind of a, a tune being carried in the Greenfield yeah. house. So singing. And that uh, makes me or, think like how like singing and song has been just throughout human mm. evolution for a reason. We're, we're intimately tied to it, not only because of the sound frequency impact that we were talking about earlier, but also because of the motivational effect of music. And there have been studies done on decreased tolerance or increased rather tolerance to pain, decreased time to exhaustion during exercise. We know that armies, of course, used to march into battle with a, with a drummer or some form of music such as trumpets. I do not necessarily... Um, um, discount that even when we find stories such as in the Bible of the walls of Jericho being disintegrated by thousands and thousands of, of Israelite trumpeters blasting at the walls that that could not from a from a pure physics standpoint have happened so that there's there's a lot of interesting uses of music and examples of music as, as both a, a weapon and a relaxation tool mm. in culture and in addition to music um, 
another interesting one is cold water. Cold water, anything that involves cold water immersion of the face. So a cryotherapy chamber, and those are becoming very popular, is useful for things like fat loss or decreased inflammation or a slight upregulation in energy, but it doesn't do a whole lot for the vagus nerve because you have to activate to tone the vagus nerve what is called the mammalian dive reflex. And for that to occur, your face must go underwater or you must splash your face with cold water. This is one of the things that they'll do with babies to activate their vagus nerve when they're first born and to cause things like deep diaphragmatic breathing and activation of some of those digestive responses in a baby. There's actually something to splashing cold water in a baby's face or giving them, it sounds it sounds like child abuse these days, but it's, you know, it's a very common practice and amongst many cultures to dunk your baby in cold water or splash cold water on their face very soon after birth and to continue to do so for several months after birth to continue to tone the vagus nerve in an infant. So we have cold water, meditation, singing, chanting, humming, yoga. You know, there, there's a variety of ways that you can activate the vagus nerve and, and, and music is, is another. And if, if you want to actually see if your efforts to increase the health of your vagus nerve are working, one of the best ways to do that is via what's called a heart rate variability measurement, also known as an HRV measurement. And this usually involves placing a, a Bluetooth-enabled chest heart rate strap uh, along your chest. Uh, and there are some wearables, like I'm wearing this, this Aura ring right now, which tracks it via my finger. There are wristbands now, like like the Whoop or the or the Garmin Helix, that will track it via a wristwatch. None are as accurate as as something like a Bluetooth strap that you wear around your chest. But what any of those devices will tell you is whether your heart rate variability is high or low. With heart rate variability not being your actual heart rate, but the amount of time in between each heartbeat. And if the amount of time in between each heartbeat has a slight delta, a slight variation in the beat-to-beat time interval, that's an indication that uh, the pacemaker's cells of your heart are working properly, what are called the the SA, there's a node in the heart called the sinoatrial node. And this is responsible for innervating those cells in the heart and causing proper electrical activity of the heart. And the SA node is fed by the vagus nerve. So if you have good vagal nerve tone, what that means is that your heart is able to engage in these mild beat-to-beat variations, mm. meaning that when it's time to go sympathetic, you can go sympathetic very quickly. Like, mm. let's say somebody runs in here and they've got a, whatever, their pet tiger on a chain and you and I got to jump out the window. Mike then, Tyson. Yeah, exactly. If Mike Tyson wanders in, in here. Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, if he comes back and you... With his tiger. And he's not being nice or his tiger isn't being nice. And you and I have to go from sitting here all relaxed and chatting, you know, in these chairs to jumping out the window. Good vagal nerve tone would allow us to go boom out the window. Whereas if we had whatever, you know, chronic fatigue or adrenal issues, we might be a little less sprite. And when you are stressed out, of course, you would want the opposite. You would be able to want to, when you're stuck in traffic, take one deep breath in through the nose out through the mouth, activate your parasympathetic nervous system because you've trained your vagal nerve tone to be able to make that shift very efficiently. And all you're doing when you're tracking your HRV is you're seeing that if it's low, that's a sign of poor vagal nerve tone. And if it's high, that's a sign that something you're doing is increasing your vagal nerve tone. And so that's a good way to actually kind of keep a real-time metric mm-hmm. without having to get some you know, fancy test or, or blood panel or something like that to, to look at other stress or inflammatory markers. So yeah, the vagus nerve is, is very interesting. And, and one other thing is that 
the, the predominant neurotransmitter that it uses, because all, all nerves, you know, will use neurotransmitters to propagate a signal from one nerve ending to the next, is acetylcholine. And acetylcholine is a neurotransmitter. I, 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 the, the first chapter in the book actually is all about neurotransmitters and, and how to balance them, how to increase them, how to decrease them, things that exhaust them. And the vagus nerve relies upon acetylcholine. And so if you are, for example, um, eating sources of what's called acetyl-CoA and eating sources of choline in your diet, those two combine to form acetylcholine. So you could get acetyl-CoA. It's, it's, it's found in, in higher quantities in animal foods and some antioxidant-rich uh, plants and beverages like rhodiola and adaptogens like reishi and cordyceps. You'd also find choline in things like walnuts and fish and eggs. So eating a diet that has like herbs and spices and wild plants along with walnuts and fish and eggs. It's a good way to keep your acetylcholine levels elevated. And of course, there are many, many uh, nootropic, you know, um, uh, brain supplement manufacturers out there who have picked up on that and who now include acetylcholine as an actual ingredient in their supplements. The other one that is interesting is that the receptors that are used to interact with acetylcholine are known as nicotinic acid receptors. And it turns out that the use of nicotine can actually be helpful for activating the vagus nerve. If someone has poor vagal nerve function, you wouldn't want to, you know, smoke a pack of cigarettes. But the use of something like small amounts of a nicotine gum or a nicotine tincture or a nicotine patch can help people sometimes with vagal nerve function. And uh, I, I actually interviewed one woman who works with a lot of patients who have constipation, and she'll use nicotine. She'll literally place a nicotine patch over the ileocecal valve on the lower right side of the abdomen to cause the, an opening of that valve in someone who has poor peristalsis and poor opening of that valve due to poor vagal nerve function and use nicotine as one way to retrain that valve and then combine that with acetylcholine supplementation. And so you, you can get pretty biochemical with this vagus nerve and there's a lot of cool ways that you can, you can enhance its health. Yeah, man, that's so fascinating. So much good stuff there. Um, I was just talking with Kelly Starrett and he was reminding me of the benefit and you probably talked to him and or know about this gut smashing. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about yeah. that a little bit? Yeah. Well, it, there there are kind of two different reasons that one would do something like that. And I should put the caveat out there that smashing, I'm sure everybody or a lot of people kind of grimaced when they thought, <laughs> smashing the gut, that sounds, Smash them that guts. sounds painful. Um, so the, the first reason would be so for... What, just really quickly, okay. it's basically getting like a little princess ball like at, you know, Mm -hmm. Walmart or whatever. And, uh, you know, they're kind of soft plastic balls. might have Frozen on it or Mm -hmm. Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Winnie the Pooh. Winnie the Pooh. And um, you just lay on it Uh on your belly and Uh move around a little bit, kind of, quote, smashing your guts. Yeah. And But the most important part, which is the breathing into it, which we'll get to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you expand your diaphragm. You breathe into the ball. Typically, you are prone, and the ball is underneath you, and you're placing pressure against the ball. And you can find some tight spots, and when you find tight spots, you hold the ball there and breathe into that tight spot. 
poo would probably be a fitting analogy in this case because <laughs> for many people who struggle with a morning bowel movement, this is a great little hack because you're just kind of engaging in, in your own built-in peristalsis rather than relying upon your intestines to move things through themselves. You have you know impacted matter in, in the colon or, or somewhere in the intestine or, or sluggish peristalsis. You can use this as a way to kind of jumpstart that. And you don't necessarily need to do the gut smashing in a prone condition. For example, um, if you don't have anything at all, you can use the, the meat of your palm to just kind of push across your abdomen, follow the path, preferably of your colon, which is starting from the right side of your rib cage down to over to the left side. And then you move down the left side. And then once you get to about the level of your belly button, you come across the right side. And then once you get across the right side, you go slightly down just with pressure using the palm. And you can simulate that same movement by literally moving your body over a ball and do something like that if you're going for the peristaltic effect, the digestive effect. There are also a variety of massage tools now that vibrate. Mm -hmm. And while I think something like a Theragun or a Hypervolt or any of these things that are used for targeted deep tissue therapy, mm -hmm. they're too pointy, they're too pokey. Yeah. And I think you risk organ damage yeah. if you if you push with those against your against your abdomen. There are others that are shaped more like a car buffer. And I have one in my bathroom and I, I will put it on and just use it like a car buffer over in the exact movement that I just described, doing that for about one to two minutes right before I go to the bathroom. And it's wonderful for increasing peristalsis. So that's, that's one reason that you would do something like gut smashing be for that. Uh, but I would say just as important is the fact that many people, especially people with low back pain or hip dysfunction, they have very tight iliacus and psoas muscles. And those are located right up there around either side of the belly button. And if someone were listening right now and you put both hands on your hips and you kind of feel in with two fingers on either side of your belly button, you'll find some tight spots in there. And when you place the ball in those sections, just put pressure with the ball against those sections and you just hold and again, do deep diaphragmatic breathing into that section, you can release the psoas or release the iliacus. And when you have a massage, uh, many massage therapists, they'll do what's called visceral therapy where they'll actually work in some of those sections. That's actually fantastic mm -hmm. for the vagus nerve as well. And sometimes they'll dig their fingers very deep kind of under the rib cage for the diaphragmatic release. And then on either side of the hips for the iliacus and the psoas release that can be very effective too to have a massage therapist do that and then the, you'd want to proceed at your own risk with this and pay attention if you have any organ pain or any you don't want any sharp pain with something like this because there are organs in that area and you don't want too much pressure but if you're let's say an athlete with very very tight abdominal muscles and very tight psoas the other thing I found to be useful is rather than using those very soft balls to get something like a harder ball, uh, there's a company called uh, Hyper Ice and they make a spheric shaped ball that vibrates. So you push a button on the ball and it begins to vibrate and you can place that over a section and I found that to be very efficacious for a psoas release. Similarly, there's a company called Sorite, P-S-O-R-I-T-E, and they make a small plastic device that's perfectly shaped to do both sides at the same time 
and you just get in a prone position over this so right and you push your your hips and your abs into it and you can get a release on both sides at once if you just need a quick fix it's light you can travel with it and so there's a few different ways that you can gut smash and depending on where your areas of tightness are and how tight your abdominals are you know you could you could kind of choose your own adventure but yeah I, i love the idea of paying as much attention to your diaphragm, your psoas, and your iliacus, as you might your your trapezius, or you know, an, or, you know, the upper part of the back, or somewhere else, you might traditionally massage. I think the abdomen is is often neglected, uh, along with the with the pelvic floor muscles, because in many cases, especially for people working with a massage therapist or working on themselves, those are difficult areas to access. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're also in westernized cultures considered some taboo areas for someone to be touching and feeling and pressing against but they need tissue work just like every other part of the body yeah yeah and this is so much good stuff here uh, i want to go back and talk about you you briefly mentioned neurotransmitters and you start the book off with this and it's super fascinating and talking about this concept of neurotransmitter dominance so mm. we're going to talk about that right after this quick break so sit tight we'll be right back Growing up, if I thought about chocolate, I think about Three Musketeers. I think about a Kit Kat, Butterfinger, right? I had all these ideas, hot chocolate, uh, chocolate ice cream, chocolate cake. Those are the things that would conjure up in my mind when I thought about chocolate. Little did I know that chocolate itself, the original root of chocolate, which comes from something that's botanically a, a seed, these cacao seeds, was one of the most healthy foods in the world. Listen to this. This was from a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial that was published in the American Journal of Clinical Nutrition found that polyphenol-rich cacao or cocoa, without the sugar, has remarkable prebiotic effects on the human body. So what the study found was that folks who were consuming this sugar-free cacao flavanol drink for four weeks significantly increased their ratio of probiotics or friendly bacteria, bifidobacteria, for example, while significantly decreasing their class of firmicutes, which is associated with fat gain. So there's certain types of bacteria that are associated with gaining fat. And these firmicutes, so the saying in health right now is that if you want to be firm and cute, you got to reduce the firmicutes. All right. I didn't make that up. Somebody else did. All right. But the bottom line is, wow, it has a really powerful, remarkable impact on what's happening with your microbiome. The study also found that it was able to reduce levels of systemic inflammation measured by something called C-reactive protein. And if that weren't enough, cacao also has these compounds that have a really powerful influence on our mood, like anandamide, which is known, like that translates to mean bliss chemical, right? Uh, Serotonin, tryptophan, these precursors that help your body to produce things like melatonin, right? That helps you to sleep better. It goes on and on and on, but the quality matters a lot. And when you get real chocolate into something that is even more health-giving, you've got something really special. And that's what they have with the new chocolate Organifi Gold Drink. So they've got the chocolate along with their incredible, delicious turmeric formula. And as you know, turmeric has very powerful anti-inflammatory properties. And it also has been clinically proven to have anti-angiogenesis properties. So this means that turmeric literally has the ability to cut off the blood supply to cancer cells, all right? And we all produce cancer cells every day, but a properly functioning immune system 
And being able to regulate this angiogenesis, which we need, but we need at certain levels, is incredibly important. And food can help to regulate that. So I'm a huge fan of Organifi. Now they've got the new chocolate gold. All right, so pop over there, check it out. Just released, just delicious. Organifi.com forward slash model. You get 20% off that and everything else they carry. All right, so head over there, check them out. Organifi.com forward slash model. That's O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash model for 20% off. Now back to the show. All right, we're back and we're talking with New York Times bestselling author Ben Greenfield about his new book, Boundless. This is an absolute essential to have in your library. And there are so many incredible sections. It's just like if you have any type of question on health, fitness, recovery, nutrition, he's covering everything in this book. It's amazing. The blockchain. The blockchain. Trump, Hillary, everything. No. <laughs> nah. I'm a complete dummy on anything except, <laughs> except health. <laughs> That's so funny. Same thing with me. It's just like uh, my uncle was trying to get me a few years back to like do something with the car. I'm like, I just uh, don't get that. Like, yeah. I could help with the body, but that's not my bag. Yeah, I used to. I used to be a Renaissance man, and I find increasingly I, I am just focused on yeah. my passion right now, which that's is that health and nutrition. Master of none yes. thing. Yeah, and I mean, there are like, parenting and spirituality and music. Like, there are a few other areas I delve into, but yeah. the book, you're right. It's just about mind, body, and spirit optimization. Yeah. 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 And all of those things really tie together, too, when we're talking about community and family and uh, the mind-body tie-in. And this is what I really love about the book, is that you're expanding on some ideas that you don't typically get in a traditional fitness, nutrition book. And uh, one of these, there's a new concept or newer concept that you mm. address, which is this neurotransmitter dominance. So we usually, when we hear about that, I think of like, I immediately thought of estrogen dominance. Mm -hmm. I immediately thought about, oh, that's a problem, but that's not necessarily the case. So can we talk a little bit first, what, what is neurotransmitter dominance and how do we address this? Yeah. And, and to back up real quick, estrogen dominance actually is pretty interesting and it, it is a big issue. I was at a, a health summit yesterday and I listened to a, a talk in which the the problem with estrogen dominance in both men and women exposure to a lot of plastics uh, um, estrogen imbalances due to the use of birth control uh, a lot of issues I, I didn't realize how big of a tie there is to to a variety of issues kind of like the Vegas number we were talking about but especially thyroid yeah. estrogen dominance it down regulates T4 to T3 conversion it can cause damage to the thyroid gland I mean that it's it's a it's a pretty big issue this idea of estrogen dominance and a lot a lot of women especially struggle with it men increasingly too who are either using fragrances or plastics or even uh, using testosterone like troches or pellets or injections or creams but aren't monitoring those with a physician to see if they're over aromatizing into estrogens it's a big issue and estrogen is, is a hormone but uh, there are other things like serotonin and the acetylcholine I was talking about earlier, uh, gamma aminobutyric acid, also known as GABA, dopamine, and some others. These are all neurotransmitters. They're not hormones. They're chemical messengers that the nerves use to propagate signals throughout the body. For the most part, they are either excitatory, such as you know dopamine being the most popular example of an, mm -hmm. of an excitatory neurotransmitter, and uh, inhibitory. Uh, you know, GABA would be a perfect example of an inhibitory neurotransmitter. I have many of my clients actually keep a little bottle of 
GABA next to their bedside when they wake up at night. It's one of the best ways to get back to sleep quickly is to just take a little liposomal GABA underneath the tongue and it just kind of floods your body with some of these inhibitory neurotransmitters. If you have racing thoughts or excitation when you wake up, it's a good way to get back to sleep. Some people are hardwired to, to be more excitatory or more inhibitory. So if you are, for example, uh, dopamine dominant, right? You're, you're fueled by activities like skydiving and uh, we see many, many Navy SEALs are dopamine dominant, people who thrive on exciting, adventurous activities. Uh, they don't need to feel bad about that. As a matter of fact, that feeds directly into their built-in propensity to be dopamine dominant. And in his historical uh, terms, they would have been athletes or, you know, warriors or, or gladiators or, you know, sometimes entertainers, people people who, who thrive on these exciting, adventurous activities, whereas someone who's, let's say, GABA dominant, right? They should they should fuel themselves with art and music and more passive activities that that fuel that that inhibitory neurotransmitter tendency. Um, at the same time, you can if you are of a certain dominance type, and I have a whole quiz in the book, and even if you wanted to a urine test like a like a Dutch neurotransmitter test, for example, or spectra cell analysis, you can actually look at where you're at in terms of neurotransmitter. And let's say someone, uh, based on on their their quiz, is a dopamine dominant person, mm-hmm. but you test them, and their their spectrocell analysis or their Dutch analysis would show uh, levels of homovanillate or some of these other neurotransmitter metabolites that are imbalanced. They might not have enough dopamine to be able to actually feel good. Uh, especially based on the fact that they're more dopamine dominant, so those might be some that those would be people that would, for example, benefit from um, consumption of cacao or the use of the supplement dopamacuna or some of these other dopamine precursors that kind of bring them back into that feel-good state that they need to be in because they're a dopamine dominant person. The same so can be said. Would this be something where we have the example of somebody like a hard-charging, adventurous? Mm-hmm. Who all of a sudden starts to get tired and lose their love for life and don't feel as motivated to get out and do stuff. It doesn't necessarily mean you're you're getting old and losing your fire. It can just mean you've got some some neuro and transmitter imbalances going on and and a little bit of supplementation can help. You know, someone who's who's GABA dominant might need a little bit more of that inhibitory neurotransmitter if if they're just overloaded with sensory stimulus living in a in a western post-industrial environment surrounded by bright LED lighting and backlit screens and movies at night and Netflix and traffic and they're just not wired to handle that and so they need a little bit more GABA or a little bit more inhibitory neurotransmitter support to actually help them get back into feeling good based on their dominant state uh and and really one of the best things you can do to care for your neurotransmitters I I would say the two most important things I talk about a lot in the book, but the two most important things would just be to be cognizant of sensory input. For example, when I rode my bicycle over here, I was listening to a podcast and I realized about halfway through the bike ride, why am I playing this so loud? It's way louder than it needs to be. And whenever I'm cognizant of that, I'll, I'll decrease the audio volume of what I'm playing to where it needs to be so that it's not too loud. Same thing when I'm watching a movie. Um, if you are watching a, a, a movie at night, you try to choose more more passive uh, forms of entertainment like a drama or maybe a comedy instead of an action or a horror. And even then you wear blue light blockers or put something like a, a drift box uh, in the HDMI cable input of your TV, which will suck all the blue light out of the screen. Uh, you, well, you Let's talk about that really quickly because yes. you made a specific point to mention horror movie. 
stories mm. in the book. And yeah. it's just like, it's so funny. And I haven't, I've literally never shared this before, but my wife knows like, I grew up just obsessed with scary movies, mm -hmm. you know, because of a childhood incidents. I've talked about on the show, but my mom went to the drive-in with my stepfather when I was five. And my little brother was like, he's an infant, you know, like four or five years older than him. And um, they went to see Nightmare on Elm Street. Mm -hmm. I'm five. Mm -hmm. So Freddie was in my dreams for mm. a good 10 years, you know, Gosh. not 10 years, maybe eight years until, and I had to just kind of, and I never shared it, but I got addicted to it, right? So I had to get all, I'd get on my bike and ride the star video, get the newest, scariest movie. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden it was about 15 years ago, I was just done. I was like, why am I going to scare the shit out of myself? Yeah. And I just stopped watching yeah. you know scary movies i'm not yeah. against them you know it's great yeah. you know we got it stephen king whatever i i see the stuff but i'm just like yeah i have no interest in that yeah yeah it's it's a sensory stimuli that's that's very it's it's it's, it's an overload for the brain that in many cases the the lizard brain it it really has a difficult time identifying that that's not real that there's not actually a threat that there's yeah. not actually a creepy clown in the room yeah. and that that can that can cause an excess sensory input that can exhaust neurotransmitters long term you know gratuitous violence and the possibility for that to induce some some societal violence you know potential for that aside it can just result in neurotransmitter overload as can uh, drinking too many cups of coffee during the day you know or the overuse of of stimulants you know whether it's a nicotine vape pen or or five hour energy i mean any of these things just shove neurotransmitters into overdrive and uh, even many of, of the, the better formulated nootropic or so-called smart drug blends out there they'll add things to the to the blends that help to replenish neurotransmitters like acetylcholine like minerals and like amino acids and things like this that actually help the neurotransmitters to rebuild more quickly and that that act, that's actually related to the second thing that I wanted to bring up, A, being cognizant of and avoiding excess sensory input, especially as the day is winding down, is important. But so is paying attention to the building blocks that your body uses to create neurotransmitters, with the two most notable building blocks being a good vitamin B complex. And this is especially important for plant-based dieters because most people who eat meat are getting plenty and adequate amounts of a vitamin B complex. But I think anyone who's vegan or vegetarian should be supplementing with vitamin B, um, if, if, if anything, for, for neurotransmitter function. And we know that because of everything from creatine deficiencies to taurine deficiencies to fatty acid deficiencies, that a plant-based diet does put you at risk for cognitive dysfunction unless it's properly structured and unless you're actually supplementing with those building blocks. So vitamin B is important. And then the other thing that's used to create neurotransmitters are amino acids. So I know that in this day and age, there's kind of an infatuation with enhancing longevity via inhibition of something called mTOR which is essentially the switch in the body that turns on anabolism and is also stimulated by high levels of proteins, especially amino acids like leucine or methionine. And I certainly think that being cognizant of excess protein intake and especially being careful not to take in too much leucine and too much methionine is a smart life-extending strategy. But at the same time, once you begin to drop below about 0 0.55 grams of protein per pound of body weight, you 
limit amino acids to the extent where not only muscle protein synthesis is, is compromised, but so is neurotransmitter synthesis. And so being cognizant of adequate protein intake or even utilizing things like amino acid supplementation is a good idea if you want to support your neurotransmitters. That and a vitamin B complex would be the two most important building blocks to make sure that you have enough to go around. Mm, man, that is so good, so important. I don't think we think about that aspect. Yeah. amino acids probably because we don't have enough neurotransmitters we don't think about it, <laughs> think yeah. about it. um and again if i i think i love the fact that you're emphasizing especially at night which is when we tend to mm -hmm. you know like you don't want to do a movie night of like it and then john wick and then try to go to bed you mm -hmm. know what i mean so give yourself the opportunity to wind down of course there are situational instances where you can you know watch your movie watch a scary movie but on a consistent basis, being hyper-stimulated um, through things like, especially the things that we're watching, which is just mm -hmm. like that multi-dimensional, you're hearing, you're, it's just it's affecting you in so many different ways before you go to bed. Yeah, and, yeah. and what kind of annoys me, not to get negative, in, in both the biohacking world and, and the Western pop culture world is that we'll often do those type of things at night, but then figure out a way to supplement our way out of them. Like, mm -hmm. oh, my cortisol is high because I decided I'm gonna structure my life so I'm doing a HIIT workout an hour prior to bedtime, but it's okay. I'm gonna take some phosphatidylserine and these adaptogens to decrease my cortisol. And then when I wake up in the morning, I'm gonna you know, take my coffee and my smart drug to wake myself back up and you put yourself on this upper downer roller coaster ride. And for other people who are, you know, still using Western medicine principles, it, for them it might be Ambien or Valium or something like that that allows them to shut themselves down because they just have not been cognizant of stimulus. You know, they just are in their habitual routine of stop and buy Starbucks on the way home from work, getting the workout in, finishing the workout, going home, having dinner, but then rather than winding down after a family dinner and maybe playing some music and reading a book, you know, it's yeah. downstairs to the basement to you know, to watch something exciting on Netflix and then turn on all those excitatory neurotransmitters all over again. And so structuring your life in such a way that the more excitatory activities occur earlier in the day and the inhibitory activities occur later on in the day is I think a better strategy than the excitatory activities occurring later in the day and then filling your body with inhibitory chemicals so that you can sleep after that. Man, this reminds me a few weeks ago, I did a talk for some of the top um, executives in the country in this particular field. And one of the guys was asking a question. He was very serious, He was, uh, but he was open to sharing, you know, talking about it in the group, everybody's having a good time and laughing. But he shared that, you know, every night he's taking like 40 times the amount of melatonin that's recommended uh, on the particular melatonin he was in. And he's just over the years, he was more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And also wine most evenings. And I'm just like, man, you were, you know, really putting yourself in, in yeah. there. But here's the thing, I asked him about his routine. What does he do? He watches TV in bed mm. right before he goes to bed every night. And he doesn't take the time, even from that, he goes right from work to getting in the bed, watching television. Mm -hmm. And it's just like looking at the behaviors, like what are your, yeah. what are your rituals? What are your patterns? Yeah. And addressing those things rather than trying to supplement our way yeah. out of a situation. I, I have two thoughts about that. The first regarding melatonin, we know that levels that you produce will decrease with age. I think there's something to be said as you age, and this is testable using a urine test, uh, that same Dutch test I talked about, you can test melatonin levels. 
If they are low, which, which is not uncommon after the age of 40, small amounts of melatonin intake can be helpful to assist with sleep at night. Larger doses of melatonin when you're crossing multiple time zones on the first night that you arrive at your destination can also be useful as a circadian rhythm reset. And as a matter of fact, uh, for example, I'll be flying to India in two weeks. And when I travel internationally, I travel with melatonin suppositories that are 100 milligrams, which is a lot of melatonin. But it like pushes the reboot button on my circadian rhythm when I get to where I'm going. I wouldn't do that every night, but it's useful as a sometimes drug to help out. And as you age, smaller microdoses can be helpful. So I'm not totally against melatonin, but I, I do think it's abused and in many cases overused in people who should be able to produce melatonin just fine, but are suppressing it with evening light exposure and evening excitatory activities. The second thing is that you talk about TV and uh, you know, sometimes computer work in bed. And I know that, that you have a wonderful book on sleep, your, your Sleep Smarter book. And uh, and, and you and, and many other good sleep scientists and authors, they talk about sleep hygiene. And many people are aware of, of sleep hygiene being light and temperature and noise. And I think that one that's underemphasized often is safety. Mm-hmm. Safety. Meaning when you crawl into bed, your body should consider that to be a safe, parasympathetic rest and digest place to be. The more that you can do to put yourself into a feeling of safety when you crawl into bed, the better. This is one reason why, uh, for example, gravity blankets are a wonderful tool for people who have difficulty sleeping because they almost smother you with you know 20 to 25 pounds of a breathable, cool material that can be very comforting for a lot of people. Um, for others, it can be a dog in the bed. My wife loves to sleep with the dogs and sleeps wonderfully with the dogs when I'm traveling because she feels more safe. When you bring a laptop into bed, that laptop is not inherently dangerous. But because of the sympathetic nervous system response associated with work, because most people don't just entertain themselves with their computers, they also work on their computers. Uh, it sends your body a message that in that bed there's something that, stim- or that, that simulates sympathetic nervous system activation. So when I'm traveling, even when I'm in the smallest of hotel rooms, I used to you know, just flop down on the hotel room when I need to do laptop work and I'd just sit on my belly you know, during lunchtime or whatever and bang out some emails. My laptop is not allowed anywhere near the bed now because I want my brain to associate the bed with being a place of safety and not sympathetic nervous system activation. So you make a very good point. You know, and, and TV, I realize that is not necessarily something people associate with work. That's a different set of issues related to blue light suppressing melatonin production. But yeah, ultimately, I think that making your bedroom as safe a place as possible is a very useful strategy for enhancing sleep. So good, man. Um, I want to talk about this really interesting phenomenon. Um, a lot of folks know today it's become part of our lexicon, leaky gut. Hmm. But we're looking at this new situation of, you know, and this is due to this semi-permeable um, access that our food has into getting into our body. But we have this really interesting barrier in our brain, yeah. right? the blood-brain barrier. And you yeah. talk about so eloquently in the book and how... Now we're looking at issues with not just leaky gut, but leaky brain. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about the the BBB and talk about this phenomenon of leaky brain. The BBB, the the blood-brain barrier. And, And of course, many people are aware that if you are eating in a stressed out state, 
or you have uh, gut damage brought on by something like exposure to herbicides and pesticides such as glyphosate, um, or you're consuming foods that you're allergic to, there can sometimes be an inflammatory response that results in damage to the gut wall that allows undigested proteins to cross the barrier between the gut and the blood. When those undigested proteins wind up in the blood, your body can mount an immune response against them, with gluten probably being the most popular of the of the larger proteins that can cross that gut-blood barrier. I don't necessarily have anything against gluten. I like pasta. I like bread. I'm not one of those gluten-free folks. But I think that if co-consumed with glyphosate, which induces a, a leaky gut wall, that's a pretty potent one-two combo for some autoimmune issues. So it's more the glyphosate than the gluten, I think. However, uh, the blood-brain barrier operates very similarly. You know, a, a semi-permeable barrier between the blood and the brain that should, in a normal circumstance, keep uh, toxins, chemicals, larger proteins from crossing into the brain. And if that barrier is compromised, you see impaired neural function, impaired sleep, uh, impaired executive function, memory, cognition, etc. Now, the two main things that would cause a leaky blood-brain barrier are chronic stress and lack of sleep. Okay, because it's going to be repaired during sleep and because stress will cause an inflammatory condition that can cause the blood-brain barrier to become leaky. There are other things I talk about in the book that, that contribute to it. Uh, large exposure to non-native EMF, um, for example, from 5G and, and Wi-Fi, you know, the use of cell phones up by the head. You know, there, there, are, there are other things that can contribute to it, but chronic stress and lack of sleep would be the biggest the cool thing is that it can be repaired. There are things that you can do to repair the blood-brain barrier. Um, magnesium is one example of something that can be very helpful for that. Uh, so like taking magnesium before you go to bed, like magnesium uh, glycinate is actually very, very good for the brain, for the blood-brain barrier. Another example is uh, this technology called pulsed electromagnetic field therapy. I was telling you, I think before we began recording that I get a massage and I have this mat that I lay on that delivers what are what's called PEMF. And these PEMF frequencies are actually very good for the brain. The cool thing is if you don't have the ability to afford something like that outside the surface of the planet, that actually emits a naturally high level of PEMF. So if you can get it in a park or your backyard and you can just spend a little bit of time laying on your back or even walking barefoot, that's wonderful for the blood-brain barrier. Coffee and tea, any of these high polyphenol, high flavanol type of compounds in moderation can, can be helpful for the blood-brain barrier. Um, it's even been shown that alcohol in small doses can help. And, and ethanol, the, the more toxic component of you know wine and cocktails and things like that, that can compromise the blood-brain barrier in high amounts, but small, almost microdoses of alcohol, like a glass of organic wine with dinner each night, that can actually help it out. Uh, fatty acids; those are not only wonderful for the for the for the myelin sheath and the neurotransmitters I was talking about earlier. The propagation of nerve signals can also be very good for the blood-brain barrier. With the the two most notable, I think, especially for children and babies, but for anyone who who wants to care for their brain. 
being one that's more popular, DHA, you know, such as you would get from, from fish oil or krill oil or, or algae, for example. But the other one that flies under the radar a little bit more is linoleic or oleic acid. That's about 30% of, of the of the sheaths that surround these these nerves, so these myelin cool. sheaths. And honestly, my I guzzle extra virgin olive oil. I go through <laughs> so much extra virgin olive oil. It's just a potent, pure source of oleic acid. If, if, you're, if you're getting a good glass bottled, you know, translucent bottle with really good spicy polyphenol and flavanol rich extra virgin olive oil you know not the stuff that you find in a plastic bottle at costco uh, or the stuff that they use at restaurants that they cut half and half with canola oil but good spicy extra virgin olive oil it's one of the best things you can do for cognitive function for nerve function and for that blood brain barrier so i you know the chapter two of the book is is literally pages and pages on how to heal the blood brain barrier and what causes it to leak but those are those are few of the important things to start with you have so many and i love this because each section when we're talking about a particular issue you've got like five ten fifteen different things that you can do for it backed by data one of the things you mentioned here with leaky brain you put a word of caution about super high fat diets yeah that, that was interesting to come across and I, I had a couple of research assistants three actually helping me with the book because we have over 3,000 scientific references in it and it was definitely a team effort to be able to go through everything and scour through every study and uh, and, and then reference it all on, on the website that, that I made for each different chapter of the book but the interesting thing about the saturated fat which is especially relevant when we're in an era where the ketogenic diet is so popular and people are putting oodles of butter and coconut oil in their beverages, um, tending to eat more marbly cuts of meat and, and generally prioritizing saturated fats, is that a high saturated fat diet in the absence of polyphenols and flavanols and fiber has been shown to be inflammatory to the gut and to the brain. And so what this means is that if you're eating a ketogenic diet, you'd be well served to eat a more plant-rich ketogenic diet um, or to engage in ways to enhance ketone production that don't necessarily involve high saturated fat intake. So perhaps you cut your total percentage of saturated fat down to a healthier intake, which is generally about 8 to 10% of your total fat intake. And you replace that with things like intermittent fasting, fasting-mimicking diets, um, fats such as monounsaturated fats, like the extra virgin olive oil that I talked about. And then also um, exercise would be another, and these newer ketone salts or ketone esters that allow you to produce ketone bodies without relying largely upon the medium chain triglycerides you might find in saturated fat. This is important also for a lot of people because many people have a gene called the FTO gene that predisposes them to weight gain and inflammation in response to high amounts of saturated fats. And I know many people who follow a ketogenic diet or some variant of a high saturated fat diet. When I look at their blood tests, they have high HSCRP and cytokines and homocysteine and markers of inflammation that they shouldn't necessarily have. And in large part, that can be due not to the presence of vegetable oils or high amount of sugar or the other things that would normally produce that condition, but instead a genetic predisposition to inflammation in response to saturated fats. And that's why I have yet to write a diet book because the diet that 
works for your neighbor is not necessarily going to be the diet that helps you to lose 20 pounds. And if they're following a ketogenic diet, but you have a poor FTO gene response, or you have familial hypercholesteremia, or you have poor liver or gallbladder function due to vagus nerve issues, then that ketogenic diet is going to screw you over, but it might be the perfect thing for your neighbor. Whereas you might, you know, something like a a plant rich diet that's got more of like a, a Mediterranean approach would be more appropriate in your case so there's there's no one-size-fits-all approach for diet yeah man so glad that you said that um and this is something i saw in my practice for years because when i started off i was like i'm doing this thing you're doing this thing Mm -hmm. and eventually you know and of course there's going to be a percentage of people who excel with that but it would bother me the people who aren't getting results and i had to open myself up to understand that everybody is so unique and even the time in your life right now you know, a certain diet might have just crushed it for you five years ago, but now it's just, quote, not working. And it's just having the audacity to experiment, but also to test, like you just mentioned. Paying attention, like you mentioned the Dutch test a couple of times, you can see what's going on with your neurotransmitters, your hormones, uh, seeing what's going on with your blood work. You mentioned CRP mm-hmm. and how important that is. If a diet is creating more inflammation, even if it worked for somebody else, we have to pay attention to that. So thank you for bringing that up. But I really got to ask you about this. This is one of my favorite sections in the book, uh, recovery enhancing tactics. And you talk about the ability to recover from, you know, just our standard training, uh, recovering from travel, even recovering from injuries. And one of the things you highlighted in multiple sections, and especially in this part of the book, I really paid a little bit more attention to was cryotherapy. So let's talk about that in the context of healing physical recovery. Yeah, cryotherapy is largely known for those chambers that people get into that when they step out of make them look like Han Solo in Star Wars (laughs) when they open his little coffin that he's been iced in. And uh, it's most popular as a, a promise for accelerated fat loss. And it is true that when you get cold, you see an upregulation of what's called brown fat activity, the type of fat that uses calories to generate heat instead of ATP. And uh, when white adipose tissue gets converted to brown fat, you see a slight uptick in metabolic rate. And so that can be useful for fat loss. And I wore a continuous blood glucose monitor for a year last year and found that the number one thing that kept blood glucose stabilized the entire day, no matter what kind of carbohydrates that I ate, was in fact about two to five minutes of being very cold in the morning, such Mm. as a cold plunge, an ice bath, a very cold shower, uh, cryotherapy. Um, And and so there are metabolic benefits to the cold. We also know that it tones the vagus nerve like we talked about earlier. It's wonderful for nitric oxide production. It can be useful as a sleep hack if you've done an exercise session late in the day and you need to bring the core temperature back down. But for recovery, you actually see a vasoconstrictive response that occurs in tissue that has localized cryotherapy or an ice pack placed over it or even a full body anti-inflammatory response when the entire body is submerged in cold water or when you step into one of those cryotherapy chambers. That vasoconstriction is followed once you warm back up by vasodilation. And so you almost get a pumping action of inflammatory byproducts out of tissue. Uh, You can also combine a localized cryotherapy, and they even have units now. Many of those places that have cryotherapy chambers actually have localized cryotherapy where they use almost 
like a vacuum sized canister to just blast an area that's been inflamed with cold and you get that vasoconstriction vasodilation that helps to reduce inflammation and swelling another way that you can use it is electrical muscle stimulation now is is quite effective at healing injuries placing electrodes around an area that's injured and it turns out i learned this from a psych or a, a doctor who works with tour de france cyclists and would help them heal their injuries faster during the stages of the tour you put a, a topical anti-inflammatory such as arnica or magnesium or cbd or something like that on top of the muscle that's injured then you put electrodes on top of that so like this, yeah this is in the recovery chapter the book it's a, it's called the one two three combo tens you know all that stimulates is nerves it's a transcutaneous yeah. nerve stimulation but electrical muscle stimulation stimulates muscles yeah. so you want an electrical muscle stimulation unit and what the electrical muscle stimulation does is it drives that anti-inflammatory topical lotion that you've applied deeper into the tissue so you get more targeted delivery and then if you put ice on top of that you're able to turn up the electrical muscle stimulation even higher because your pain tolerance is higher and that can accelerate recover from recovery from from soft tissue injuries very quickly this combination of ice electrostim and some kind of like a transdermal anti-inflammatory application so so the cold can be very useful there there are anecdotal uh reports of people doing like very cold water swimming for a period of time who had some pretty severe arthritic symptoms and unexplained body pain, what we'd call fibromyalgia in modern medicine. And it completely disappeared after a series of very cold treatments. So there are a lot of recovery benefits to the cold with the caveat being that cold is so anti-inflammatory that uh, if you do it right after an exercise session and you do it in excess, typically 10 minutes or longer, it blunts the hormetic response to exercise, meaning it blunts inflammation so effectively that it should be avoided for a couple of hours after exercise or used later in the day as a recovery strategy if you're using it to cool the body uh, so that you can sleep better or so that you're not pitting out at work during the day. You can still do it, but just like a brief foray, like two to five minutes, those longer ice baths, you know, longer cold water swims, that should be something that you should not do right after workout. It's the same reason you shouldn't take a lot of vitamin C or vitamin E after workout. It's the same reason the diabetic drug metformin, which is being used off-label as a life-extending strategy, but is also a potent anti-inflammatory, should also be something that you not take if you're an athlete or someone trying to gain appreciable amounts of muscle. But but the cold can be a, a really useful tool. Um, there there are a lot of, of other ways that you can you can heal up the body that I talk about in the book. Um, but cold is up there as yeah. as one of the one of the more potent strategies that so you can use. What about the contrast? Hot cold contrast therapy accelerates that vasoconstrictive vasodilatory response. That would be, for example, uh, doing a sauna treatment, then going straight into the cold, then back into the sauna, into the cold, and the sauna in the cold. And that, that's quite popular. You know, I have a sauna at home and a cold pool nearby, and I'll do that sometimes on a recovery day. Um, another example would be a hot tub to a cold pool, to a hot tub to a cold pool, back and forth, doing something like that. Uh, when I travel, I actually take hot, cold contrast showers, 20 seconds of cold, 10 seconds of hot, for about five minutes and that the vasodilation vasoconstriction it can be wonderful as like a cup of coffee for your brain it can be great after a workout it can be good for cooling the body prior to sleep so yeah there, there's a lot of different ways to mess with cold but it can be very effective as a healing strategy for sure Man, so good i want to ask you about so many things uh in this section you also talk about 
hyperbaric oxygen therapy. Yes. I immediately thought about Michael Jackson. You know, yeah. thought he was sleeping one yeah. else for a while. He did. Um, but what what what's up with this? This is something I'm hearing so much more about, and then I just yeah. looked into the data recently, and yeah. it's fascinating. Well, when when you combine high levels of oxygen in the air that you're breathing, with and this is important, high pressure of the oxygen. So this is different than those oxygen bars you walk into where they hook up the little oxygen to your nose and you breathe it in. The problem is if, it's, if your body's under pressure, then you know the higher amounts of oxygen that you're breathing, the pressure isn't adequate to actually allow that oxygen to dissociate into muscle tissue or into neural tissue. But if you can pressurize the oxygen and also have it in high concentrations in the air, then what you're going to do is hyper-oxygenate tissue, which can be wonderful for healing. It can have a good cognitive effect. It can be wonderful for things like TBI or concussion or even that blood-brain barrier thing I was talking about for delivering more oxygen to neural tissue. And now uh, hyperbaric oxygen chambers are becoming something increasingly seen, not just in medical settings, but also in gyms, health clubs, recovery facilities, you know, so-called biohacking facilities, and even in homes. I recently got what's called a soft shell hyperbaric chamber in my home. It's made by a company called HBOT USA. And it's, uh, it's a home-based HBOT unit that actually gets up to a pretty high, what's called PSI. It'll get up to about 1.4 PSI, or I'm sorry, it gets up to 4 uh, PSI. And that allows for pretty high pressure of oxygen that you can get inside and breathe when you're in one of those chambers. Now, in a medical setting, you know, they'll go up to 1.6, 1. 1.82. Yeah. Um, actually get, you actually you get you can get into medical chambers. You know, like I know uh, I was recently at Next Health a couple days ago here in L.A. and they've got one of the big hard shell chambers that gets up to really high PSI. Such a high PSI, you have to be careful not to bring your phone and paper and stuff in there because the last thing you'd want is a spark combined with that amount of oxygen because you would literally combust. So you need to be careful not to do a not to do a Deadpool inside the hyperbaric chamber. Right. Uh, but the uh, the effects of that pressurized, concentrated oxygen is wonderful as a healing effect. And for anyone who decides to mess around with this or to get a soft cell chamber for their home when you combine that with breath work because you're typically really focused on taking these deep inhales during breath work and i've even done 60 minute holotropic breath work sessions inside of the hbot chamber and you literally just feel like your your brain is saturated with oxygen your head is clear as a bell after you finish something like that and it's also been shown to be able to repair soft tissue injuries more readily so there's a lot going for hyperbaric oxygen and it's being used increasingly for both medicine and performance and recovery right now man again so much good stuff you talk about all this inside of the book and so much more and I just got to have you back on again to yeah. talk more about this stuff man it's so fascinating so many incredible tools that I just I think that we don't realize we have access to because stuff is gonna happen in our lives. We're gonna travel, we're gonna get sick, we're gonna have injuries, but also just if even things are going great, there are things that we can do to help us to sustain or maybe to get a little bit better. Mm. And you've got something for everybody inside of this book. It really is, a, you know, you got to choose your own adventure 
dynamic to it. But the funny thing is, man, like you just, you don't want to miss anything in it. You know, like I thought I would jump to another chapter, but like, ah, this is too I good. wanted it to be kind of a fun adventure for yeah. people and didn't want it to be like a flash in the pan book you'd get through in a week and toss aside. And as a result, it's kind of heavy. It's a little bit of a, a bonus that you get to work out when you're carrying it around. Right, right. But it, I it, told it, my wife, I handed it to her, I was like, be careful, make sure you got a good grip. I've been signing it because I've been doing a lot of book signings. Yeah. And I swear, like my arms are good because I got to pick up a book, sign, pick up a book, sign, and you do it a hundred times in a row. And yeah, I'm getting my bicep curls in. Bicep, for sure. <laughs> I'm getting so, my guns. Man, um, boundless it, guns. It's also a beautiful book as well. Thanks. You know, you put a lot, man, just put so much intention into it. You can really tell. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, my pleasure, man. So thank you for putting this together for us. Can you let everybody know, number one, where to find the book? Oh, it's very easy. If 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 you have a bookstore near you, they should have it. You might want to call first if you're listening to this podcast when it comes out because everybody's selling out of it, which I'm, I just feel super blessed and, and grateful for that. It's a good problem to have. But yeah. boundlessbook.com, boundlessbook.com with the idea being that I want to equip people to have all the boundless energy they want at their beck and call all day long. So, so yeah, boundlessbook.com. Awesome, man. Um, one other thing, I was pleasantly surprised that you also integrated things that are outside of the normal spectrum of very tangible health and fitness information and talking about, like you said, mind, body, spirit, and we don't usually hear the spirit aspect tied into the, to the equation. So what was it for you? Was this something that you were interested in, you know, a long time ago when you first got into the field? Because I know you've been a personal trainer for long time or is it something more recent for you to tie in these kind of metaphysical spiritual aspects um even as you're talking about breath work you know a lot of us think about meditation why is why was that such an important thing for you to put into the book as well i think we're all on a path to enlightenment most humans are seeking purpose and fulfillment and that drives many people Happiness, ultimately, what makes me happy? Is it this cup of coffee? Is it six-pack abs? Is it getting my workout in that makes me feel happy most of the day, then I wake up unhappy the next morning and go work out again so I can get happy? Uh, is it fitting into my swimsuit? Is it how I look on Instagram? Um, is it the satisfaction that I get from having a healthy diet or even being able to memorize things quickly or play a musical instrument because I'm taking care of my brain? And increasingly, as I personally really optimized myself, like first with fitness, you know, I became one of the fittest people on the planet. And, you know, I was racing Ironman for 20 years and doing bodybuilding before that and Spartan racing and collecting trophies and medals and podiums. Uh, that ultimately wasn't very fulfilling in the end, you know, briefly, short term. Then you want to sign up for the next race and figure out a way you could dominate again or get that rush of dopamine again and ultimately you realize it's not the path to happiness and neither is memorizing a deck of cards or you know playing a musical instrument or sleeping better like those are all useful and they can serve you in life but they're not a source of purpose and fulfillment we know they're super happy 110 year old gin chugging cigarette smoking grandmas in sardinia italy who are happy despite not doing all these biohacks and modern human optimization techniques but they're surrounded by love, robust relationships, people who love them, often a strong spiritual life, a belief in a higher power and the hope that that can give one. 
they often have woven spiritual disciplines into their life, such as meditation, prayer, silence, solitude, fasting, celebration, joy, worship, charity, service. And ultimately, nothing beats that when it comes to happiness and purpose and fulfillment. And through my own life, I've discovered that for me to realize that that's where one derives true fulfillment in life. Essentially, what I tell my kids, I really boil it down to two things, love God and love others, love God and love others. And I would be remiss not to share the enormous amounts of fulfillment and purpose and happiness that that has brought to me, especially as I've, I've grown up, I've put on my big boy pants, I've become increasingly enlightened. And I've realized over the past few years, geez, what, how did I not know this for the past 20 years that you can wake up on a, with a smile on your face no matter where you're at in the poorest of circumstances and still be happy if you've equipped yourself spiritually. And so I think that that one thing that 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 one neglected, shriveled up part inside many people in the world that we operate in, Sean, the health and fitness world, people are optimizing their bodies and they look good and sometimes their 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 brains are working great and their muscles look good. Uh, but their their spirits, their souls are, are just shriveled and shrunk up on the inside. They're never going to be happy. It's only temporary. They're never going to be fulfilled. It's only temporary until they get to the point where they have optimized themselves spiritually and found the true happiness and purpose and fulfillment that that gives one. And so that's why I included that in the book too because if you want to be boundless, you have to have a boundless spirit in addition to the boundless body and mind man love it man thank you so much ben uh thank you for having the audacity to put a book like this together <laughs> where you're not leaving any stone unturned and you're not missing any of the core components to being boundless you know and um mind body spirit like you mentioned and it's just been amazing to see you to see your growth and to see the the thing I admire most about you and that I tell other people about is the fact that you don't talk about stuff that you don't do. And you talk about a lot of stuff and you've done a lot of stuff. And to have the courage, because that's what it really is, to experiment, to put yourself out there, to when something's going good, to have the, the, the kahunas to say, you know, I'm gonna try something else. And that's what I admire about you most, you know, because most people, in this space don't have the courage to experiment like you do. And so you've got just incredible body of work and I can't wait to see what you do next. And I wanna make sure everybody picks up Boundless. So go to boundlessbook.com, correct? Yeah. And of course, check out your phenomenal podcast. We'll put that in the show notes. And where else can people connect with you? Uh, my website is bengreenfieldfitness.com and I'm usually Ben Greenfield or Ben Greenfield Fitness on most social media, or you can just use the old uh, the old Google. The old Google. Yeah, the old evil Google. Just <laughs> a discussion for another day. But yeah, just Google me. You'll find me. Yeah. Awesome. Thank yeah. you so much, brother. Yeah, cool. Thanks, Thanks man. Everybody, thank you so much for hanging out with us today. I hope you got a lot of value out of this. Just nugget after nugget. And what Ben does, he gives you things for your superhero utility belt. Like you think, I've only got this boomerang, but boom, you've got like a, a freaking laser with like that shoots out, I don't know, roaches or something like crazy <laughs> stuff that you didn't even know you had access to that can help you to perform, freak other people out potentially. But at the end of the day, man, we've got access today to so much. There's so much information that's out there. 
But what I love about a book like this is that we're taking not just somebody who's looked at the clinical evidence, but like anecdotally, like putting the stuff into play in his own life and the people that he's worked with together for us with answers, because there's so many different things out there for us to choose from, so many different things to believe. How can we find something that actually has efficacy? And that's, again, what I really admire about the work. And a big part of this, like I, I think one of the big takeaways today, and I hope you didn't miss this, is uh, the ketogenic diet is popping right now and for good reason, but it depends on you whether or not this is appropriate. And we can all get benefits, obviously, from having um, high quality fats. We need them for sure. But that ratio for you might be a little bit different. And understanding now we've got some data showing that uh, extremely high fat diet might be problematic for some folks uh, for your brain, that blood brain barrier. So and this is one of, I think it's, we've got the, the microbiome, but we've got the brain biome. And these are like the ultimate fronts, you know, like the last frontier, I think, in health and fitness is what we're going to be looking at um, because it's it's everything. You know, your brain is determining uh, everything about you. There's this governing force determining, you know, how you feel, determining your, the digestion of your food, what hormones you're producing, how your metabolism is working. We really want to take good care of our brain. And him bringing up the topic of this leaky brain phenomenon that is just really, really starting to move to the forefront. Super important, super simple, actionable things for you to do in the book. And again, I think um, this book is something that it's beautiful and something you can put on your coffee table and people can kind of thumb through and find cool things they can implement immediately. But make sure to get yourself a copy of Boundless today. And we've got some powerhouse, epic, boundless episodes coming your way very soon. So make sure to stay tuned. Take care, have an amazing day, and I'll talk with you soon. And for more after the show, make sure to head over to themodelhealthshow.com. That's where you can find all of the show notes, you can find transcriptions, videos for each episode, and if you got a comment, you can leave me a comment there as well. And please make sure to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating to let everybody know that the show is awesome, and I appreciate that so much. And take care. I promise to keep giving you more powerful, empowering, great content to help you transform your life. Thanks for tuning in.